0: You know, young people, all of us go through some difficult times in our journey through this life. I'm going to say this to you personally, as if I were looking at you one-on-one. There'll be a time when you, young man, a young lady, a time when you will go through a crisis. Today, the message is about you knowing how to handle a crisis. So would y'all stand? Look at Second Chronicles twenty and verse one. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon, and with them others of the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Now, dear Father, we pray for the Spirit of God to take your word and aid uh, the life of these. Uh, college students and the faculty and visitors. And Father, may the the Holy Spirit help us to present the Word of God where our Savior can be honored. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. May be seated, please. In this passage which I just gave you, we find a man of God named Jehoshaphat who is surrounded by the enemy. Every direction that man looked, there were the Ammonites, And there were the Moabites, entirely engulfed by the enemy. There are times in your own life, every direction you look, you'll be surrounded by a major problem. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think not strange, concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Romans 8.18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation taking you but such as common to man. So look, you'll go through a dark hour. But what do you do in the hour of a crisis? What did this man of God do? Well, first of all, the Word of God says he prayed. Look at verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast about all Judah. Now look here, please. What this man did is very crucial. You know why? Because usually it's the last thing that most people do in the hour of a crisis. Several years ago in South Carolina, a dear lady came crying to me and saying, Jerry, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? That should never be the response of a child of God. But so often in the crisis, People, they literally fall apart and they run in this direction and then they go in that direction. They go everywhere except the one place God wants you to go. And that's the praise. Many years ago, I had a good friend in South Carolina. who got a long distance phone call from his dear mom in the state of Pennsylvania. His mother's crying. She said, son, your father has just been killed on the highway. And my good friend said, you know what I did, Jerry? He's with the phone in my hand. I literally fell to my knees and I began to pray. You know what that man did? It's exactly what this man of God did. The Bible said he began to pray. And I think the truth that God wants to embed within your heart in the hour of a crisis, the first thing you ought to do is you ought to pray. Psalm 141, verse 8, But my eyes are unto thee, O God the Lord, and thee is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute. And in the hour of the crisis, you ought to pray. Number two, look at verse 6, please. He recognized the power of God and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are not the God in heaven, and rule us not over all the kingdoms of the heathen, And in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee. Now look here, please. Scientists tell us there's enough energy in the body of one man to blow up the entire entire city of New York. That our mind is capable of knowledge beyond a computer as high as the Empire State Building. However, in the spiritual realm, all of man's mental powers, all of man's me- me- physical strength is absolutely of no value. Second Corinthians 3, 5 says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. In John fifteen five, Christ said, Without me, ye can do nothing. Look at me. In myself, I'm weak. I'm frail. I'm destitute. The power is not on me. The power is in the Lord. Many years ago when I was in college, I was taking a course called Greek. I could hardly speak English, but I was learning Greek. And you know, I was so exhausted, so mentally drained. Uh, I was at that time uh, interested in a young lady uh, uh, who was going to become my wife. And I, uh, She wrote me a letter that night. And I'm going to forget this. I I got the letter and I I fell across the couch. And I hardly had enough energy to open up the envelope. And I I did and I got the little note out. I'm lying down and I'm reading the note. And in the middle of the letter, my wife made the statement. Jerry, the task ahead of us is never greater than the power of God behind us. And when I read that statement, look at me, I literally jumped off of that couch like someone poured a whole gallon of enthusiasm right down my throat. Listen to it again, please. The task ahead of us is never greater than the power of God behind us. Sometimes we go through this crisis this dark hour and it seemed like there's no way to go and everything is enclosing on us and yet the Bible says in Genesis eighteen fourteen, is anything too hard for the Lord Jeremiah 32 17 there's nothing too hard for thee Luke 1 37 for God nothing shall be impossible look at me No crisis is ever greater than God's power. And this man recognized the power of God. But third of all, the Word of God says, he recalled the past blessings God gave him. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, this man of God said, Art not thou our God who destroyed thou the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel? And gave us it to deceive Abraham, thy friend forever. Now, young people, let me say, just say this to you kindly. There's no advantage of any one of you in this room drilling upon your past and your past failures. But I will tell you right to your face there's a great advantage whenever you recall the past victories that God has wrought in your life. Now, When I went to college, and by the way, I'm the first Savinsky ever to go to college. And my dad had 15 brothers and sisters, and my mother had uh, four sisters, and no Savinsky, either side, ever went to college. I'm the first Savinsky ever to go to college. And I went to college, and I'm embarrassed to tell you this. My whole life was sports, uh, football in high school, baseball, fastest runner and track, and all that nonsense, you know, my whole life was consumed with the sports world books out of my vocabulary. Studying, to me, was a curse. And so, when I go to college, I had to take a course called Bonehead English. Now, that's a bad bad story, by the way. That means I was dumb as a doorknob, and I I really didn't... it was embarrassing. And, and I'm in this course, and I'm taking the test. Ta- I'm, I'm struggling. I really am struggling. And so we took a test on Friday. And on Monday, the teacher is handing all the papers out in front of the entire class. The teacher says, where is Jerry Savinsky? And I raised my hand like that. And she looked at me and she said, I must see you at the close of the class hour. And the very way she said it, everyone knew I flunked the test. And so I walked up there, and the teacher said to me, she said, Jerry, you have real problems. <laughs> I said, yes, ma'am. She said, you are ready to flunk the whole semester of English. And I was. And she said, I have talked with your tutor. By the way, I had a special tutor working with me who almost had a nervous break. No, we did not. But I did. I did. I had, a, I had a, a special tutor, and she said, I have talked with your tutor this coming Friday at, 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 at the close of school at 530. You go to his office. He will give you another test. If you pass that test, then we'll disregard this test. But, Jerry, that's all we could do for you. I said, Okay. So students, look at me. I got up at 5.30 the rest of the week, and I studied from 5.30 to 11 o'clock one subject. I just studied English, English, just English. And then I'll never forget at 5 o'clock, I walked in that, uh, uh, my my man to take the test, I walked in there with my tutor. I got the pen out, and I sat down, and look at me. I began to read every question carefully, and then I would circle the answer, and then I'd read the second, and I would go over, make sure, and I said, I, I did that for the whole test. When it got through, look at me, my head was going like this. I mean, I had concentrated so hard, I got this I, intense headache, and the professor said to me, stand right there. I'll grade the test and give it the outcome, and so I stood like this, and I'm waiting, and He graded the test, and I'll never forget this long as I live. He took his glasses off, looked at me and said, Jerry, you flunked it. Flunked it by two points. Well, thank you for feeling sorry for me. I appreciate that. But I did. And so in my heart, in my mind, look at me. I said, in my heart, I said, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm going back to... South, West Virginia, where I belong. And I was. That was it. Well, all of a sudden, that tutor, although I did not say one word out loud, God's my witness, he looked at me and said these exact words. I shouldn't do this. But I'm going to give you another test right now. If you pass this test, then Jerry will disregard this test you just flunked. And the test, last Friday you you flunked. But that's all we could do. Is that clear? I said, give me the test. (laughs) Now, you kids look at me because God's my witness. This is exactly what happened. I took that test. I got my pen out. I did not read one question. (laughs) I just circled the answers. I tell you, I did not read one question. I circled the answers. I gave the test back to him. I stood like this. He graded the test. He turned around and looked at me, and he said, Jerry, you made a B. I said, I did. Students, as long as I live, I'll never get this. He held the paper up in big red numbers, and read 8, 8. He said, you made an 88. And I said, what do you know? Now listen, young people, God does not bless laziness, but sometimes he sure helps the ignorance. Amen. <laughs> By the way, don't you try that. That may not happen in the hundred years at any college in America. But I said what happened. When I got that classroom students I, I, at that room taking the test, I'm jumping this high. No, yeah, I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. Kids thought I'd gone crazy. You know why? Because I know God intervened for me. God knew I was leaving. And God intervened. And every time I've been discouraged, every time I've wanted to quit, you know what I've done? I've always looked back at AD 8. Hasn't God always intervened for you? Hasn't God always seen you through? You see, child of God, there's a great advantage of you recalling the past victories God wrought in your life. But then look at verse 12, if you will. He got his eyes upon the Lord. O our God, will thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Now you know. Look here. Since I've been a little boy, I have always had a wild-running imagination. In matter of fact, uh, when I was in uh, fifth grade and sixth grade, every report card that my mother received, the teacher put on every report card, "Jerry daydreams all day long." I've always had this wild-running imagination. My daughter Jennifer says of me, to this day she says, my father has a boy's mind trapped in a man's body. <laughs> I, I still, I can, and I can see the scene right here. Now I want you see the scene through, through what I see through my eyes, okay? I'm going to dramatize this for you. Um, here Jehoshaphat is surrounded by tens of thousands of, these, of the enemy. Every direction he looks, there's the Ammonites and there's the Moabites. Now we don't know how he said it, but can I give you a Savinsky rendition? Perhaps he said, "O our God, we will not judge them, for we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do." But our eyes are upon thee. Who else can you look to? You look to man, man's gonna fail you. You turn to finances, they'll disappoint you. You know what you gotta do? Got your eyes fixed upon the Lord. You hear me? And when they got their, hit their eyes upon the Lord, would you not look with me? At verse 22. And when they began to sing and the praise, the Lord sent ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. And they were smitten. What did God do? God wrought a great victory. Many years ago, uh, I was preaching in Farmington, New Mexico. And I got a long-distance phone call from my dear mom in West Virginia. My mom was crying her heart out. And I said, Mom, what is it? And she said, Jerry, your father just passed away. My father had an aneurysm in his stomach, and it burst, and my my, my father, who was a godly man who was saved, uh, my father died on the operating table. And when the phone hung, when I got through talking, I put the phone down. You know what I did, students? The first thing I did was I prayed. Number two, I recognized the power of God. Psalm 1830, as for God, his way is perfect, and that was God's perfect time of taking my dad home. Number three, I recalled the past victories. Two days before my dad died, I called my dad up, and the last words I ever uttered to my dad were, Dad, I love you. Number four, I got my eyes upon the Lord, and I began to sing the doxology. I'm going to tell you, in the darkest hour of my life, what I have preached to you was my calm. And my peace. I stood at my dad's casket. And I talked to coal miners. My dad was a coal miner. Coal miner after coal miner. I cannot express to you young people the unusual presence and peace that God gave me. And you know what? That's the kind of father we have. And you've got to get this branded on your life. You can either... Handle the crisis your way and make a grand mess or else you can handle the crisis God's way. And you could pray and recognize the power of God and recall the past victories and have your eyes upon the Lord and have a song in your hearts and then watch what God will do for you.